0: Acts chapter 2, and I want to talk to you today and for the next four weeks about more in 2024. Would you say that with me? More in 2024. I've got a four sermons that I'm going to be preaching at the beginning of this year. Today I'm going to talk about we need more gospel proclamation. How many of you people think that more people need to hear about Jesus? Anybody believe that? More gospel pro- pro- proclamation. And then next Sunday, more Bible intake. And then the Sunday after that, which will be the 28th of January, more fervent prayer. And then on the first Sunday of February, February the 4th, more cheerful giving. So we're going to be talking about gospel proclamation, taking in Scripture, prayer, and giving. Today I want to talk more gospel proclamation Acts chapter 2. If you want to understand Acts chapter 2, guess what you have to understand? Acts chapter 1. That makes sense, does it not? You don't understand the second chapter if you don't know the first chapter. What happened? What happened in Acts chapter 1? Jesus ascended back to heaven. And right before he left, he gave all of us a commission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Read it with me from the screen, if you will, please. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then Jesus went back to heaven, and he's been there ever since, and he's coming back. Right now he's praying, he's preparing heaven, he's pardoning lost people, but he's also preparing to return. But the Bible says that when he ascended to heaven... He told them, you go and you wait on the Holy Spirit. Before you witness, you wait on the Holy Spirit. And for 10 days, they were in an upper room and they prayed and they cried out to God. And then 10 days to the day after Jesus ascended, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled all those Christians. Look there on the screen and you'll see what happened. Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Sometimes we like to have quiet in our worship services. Well, the first worship service when the Spirit came was noisy. <laughs> and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And they witnessed to all the people who had gathered there in Jerusalem from all over the world, the Jews there, and they were speaking the gospel in those people's languages. And they gathered together, and when they came together, Peter got up and he said, you know what, I'm supposed to give a gospel proclamation. That's what you and I need to do. I'm not talking about preaching like I'm talking about here today. I'm talking about every one of us needs to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with lost people so that they can give their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. That's not just our responsibility on the staff. That's all of our responsibility. And I want to give you a few things that will help us to engage in gospel proclamation. Number one, if you want to engage in more gospel proclamation, more in 2024, you'll need to have anointed presentations. Anointed presentations. We've got to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 14 and 15. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words for these men are not drunk as you suppose for it's only the third hour of the day it's only nine o'clock in the morning nobody's had time to get drunk he said they're not drunk but they are full of the holy spirit of god now before what happened to peter who is this peter Last time I checked on Peter in the Bible, in this section of Scripture, back in the Gospels, he was denying that he even knew Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. He denied that he knew Jesus. Now what's going on? How is he so bold now? I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus had forgiven him, and he had been filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. Look at these words. He took his stand. He raised his voice. He declared to them and said, give heed to my words. What made the difference? The Spirit of the living God. Are you anointed with the Holy Spirit? Now, when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. But is he anointing you? Are you receiving a fresh anointing, not from without, but from within? Is the Holy Spirit, like Jesus said, like rivers of living water, flowing out of you. Do you have that? Are you asking God, "Oh Jesus, I can't. I can't worship today without being anointed by the Holy Spirit. I can't, Lord, be <clears throat> the parent you want me to be without the Holy Spirit. I can't be the spouse you want me to be. I can't be the Christian, the worker you want me to be without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We all need that, just like Peter." DL Moody was a great Christian leader. He was the Billy Graham in America of the late 1800s. And uh, he had the largest church in Chicago, and he had a great ministry. But along the way, he realized that he needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read to you, which I don't normally do, out of a book about Moody, because this guy nailed it and how he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Moody continued to hunger for a deepening of his own spiritual life and experience. He'd been greatly used of God, but he felt that there were much greater things in store for him. The year 18, I love it when my iPad just decides to do whatever it wants to do. Hang on just one second. Thank you very much. The year 1871 was a critical one with him. He realized more and more how little he was fitted by personal acquirements for his work and how much he needed to be qualified for service by the Holy Spirit's power. The realization was deepened by conversations he had with two ladies who sat on the front pew in his church. He could see by the expression of their faces that they were praying. At the close of the service, they'd say to him, we've been praying for you. Moody would ask, why don't you pray for the people? Because you need the power of the Holy Spirit, they said. I need the power. Why, I thought I had power. I had the largest congregation in Chicago. And there were many conversions. I was, in a sense, satisfied. But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me. And their earnest talk about anointing for special service set me thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me and they poured out their heart in prayer that I might receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. There came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to cry out as I never had before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have the power of the Holy Spirit for Christian service." While Mr. Moody was in this mental and spiritual condition, says his son, Chicago, the great Chicago fire broke out. It was laid in ashes. Everything was scattered. Mr. Moody went east to New York City to collect funds for the sufferers from the Chicago fire, but his heart and soul were still crying out for the power of Almighty God. He said, my heart was not in the work of begging money for our churches I could not appeal for money I was crying out all the time what would fill me that God would fill me with his spirit and these are famous words I'm about to read well one day in the city of new, War- new york oh what a day i cannot describe it i seldom refer to it it's almost too sacred an experience to name paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years I can only say that God revealed Himself to me. I had such an experience of His love that I had to ask Him to stay His hand. I went back to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you would give me all of the world. It would be a small dust of the balance." His soul was set on fire in such a way that he would become a worldwide evangelist. What happened to him? The spirit within him anointed him. Have you ever been anointed to present the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're not just anointed for you. You're anointed to present the gospel of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Say that with me, of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. The preacher doesn't matter. It's the power of God that matters. It doesn't matter who's saying it. It matters the power of God, the anointing of God in the presentation. Beloved, if we're going to have more gospel proclamation at Bellevue, we're going to have to have anointed presentations, not just sharing the gospel, but doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, if you and I want to engage in more gospel proclamation in 2024, we're going to have to have scriptural authority, scriptural authority. Look at verse 16. Peter's proclamation, if you read his sermon, it was all based on several Old Testament scriptural texts. One was Joel chapter 2. If you look down in verse 16, he's preaching. He says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. When he preached, he preached from a biblical text. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky. Above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone, read it with me please, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter began his message with Scripture. Peter proclaimed the Word of God. He didn't give them his thoughts. He gave them the Word of Almighty God. Why? Because the infallible, inerrant, inspired, eternal, divine Word of God, that's where the power comes from. Not our philosophy, not our good thoughts, but the power of scriptural authority. When I was in seminary, I had the privilege of meeting two men that blessed my heart. I interviewed them both in their offices, one of them in their home. One was Dr. W.A. Criswell, First Baptist Dallas, and then Herschel Hobbs, First Baptist Oklahoma City. Leave them on the screen just for a minute. Very interestingly, Dr. Hobbs and Dr. Criswell were very good friends, and Dr. Hobbes actually drove the getaway car after W.A. Criswell and his wife married. He drove them off to their honeymoon spot. They both had PhDs in New Testament. They both could read the Greek New Testament. And they both, Dr. Criswell at First Baptist Dallas, Dr. Hobbes at First Baptist Oklahoma City, they both preached from Genesis to Revelation in their churches. Why? Because they knew the power was not in a Ph.D. The power was not in a seminary education. As good as that is, the power is in the Word of Almighty God. Let's give God praise for His Bible. Amen? God has commanded every one of us, not just the preachers, but every one of us to share Scripture. When you share Scripture. You turn loose the power of Almighty God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Brethren, we're living in that time. People don't want to hear the Word of God. They want to hear some little plastic. Message, a little feel good to get them through the week. I need something to get me more through more than something to get me through the week. I need something to get me to heaven and also to get me through all the struggles in this world. And that's the word of God. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to miss. We don't need people that won't preach the Word of God in the pulpit. We need people who will preach the Word. Not fancy words. That's not where the power is. Not keen intellect. Not some musical mood. Not lights and smoke on the stage. Not prestige of the congregation. The power of God is in the Word of God. The power of God is in the Word of God. Say it with me. The power of God is in the Word of God. If we want to engage lost people with the proclamation of the gospel in 2024, we need scriptural authority. Thirdly, if we want to engage more gospel proclamation in 2024, we're also going to need Christ-centered content. Christ-centered content. Say it with me, Christ-centered content. We don't just talk to them out of the Bible. We do talk to them out of the Bible, but we talk to them specifically about Jesus. Did you know the whole Bible is about Jesus? All Every page of the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus. All the Gospels are about Jesus. The book of Acts is about the furthering of Jesus' movement through the Holy Spirit. All the epistles are talking about the doctrine set forth by Jesus, and the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is about Jesus coming back. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. And the er early Christians knew that. When Peter proclaimed, he focused on Jesus. He talked about Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus' earthly ministry. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He didn't talk about himself, he talked about Jesus and his earthly ministry. And then he talked about his sacrificial death. He talked about Jesus' sacrificial death. Look at verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. He talked about Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood. And then Peter went on to share from the scripture, talking about Jesus. He talked about his bodily resurrection. That Jesus didn't stay in the grave he didn't stay on the cross. He rose from the dead. Look at verse 24 and following. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also was will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently, Peter says, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead, spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, that is hell, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. And then Peter preached about Jesus heavenly ascension. Look at verses 33 and following. Jesus, heavenly ascension. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, he's quoting here Psalm 110, verse 1, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter preached with Christ-centered content. I love this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in my opinion, the greatest preacher of the 1800s. He said this, talking to his preacher boys about always sharing Christ-centered content. He said, let your sermons be full of Christ from beginning to end, crammed full of the gospel. As for myself, brethren, I cannot preach anything but Christ and His cross, for I know nothing else. And long ago, like the Apostle Paul, I determined not to know anything else save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Preach Jesus Christ, brethren, always and everywhere. And every time you preach, be sure to have much of Jesus Christ in your sermon. We preach Jesus Christ to those who want Him. We preach Jesus Christ to those who don't want Him. And we keep on preaching Jesus Christ until we make them feel like they do want Him and cannot do without them. Now that's how to preach, amen? Christians, we need more Christ-centered content. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, because I know there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus. Your name, Jesus, is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. You break through every stronghold. You shine through all the shadows, burn like a fire. I will speak the name of Jesus Christ. Let's say his name together, Jesus. Amen. Give him glory. Give him glory right now. Amen. You don't have to worry about what to preach you preach and you proclaim Christ-centered content. Fourthly, if you want to engage in more gospel proclamation in 2024, you need to share evangelistic invitations. Don't just tell them about Jesus. Tell them how to know Jesus, how to repent of their sins and believe in Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 37. Peter ended his gospel presentation with a gospel invitation. I say that because I'm amazed at what I see nowadays with so many churches. You'll go to a church, they'll preach the Bible, they'll talk about Jesus, talk about salvation, and at the end they say, okay, let's go home. They don't give anybody a chance to respond. Let me tell you something. If you have not shared a gospel invitation at the end of your gospel presentation, your gospel presentation is not over with. You need to give people the opportunity to receive Christ. Why would you hold food out in front of a hungry man and not let him eat? Why would you hold water out to a thirsty soul and not give them a chance to drink? And why would you preach or share the gospel with somebody and then not say, would you like to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior? Oh, Peter didn't mess up here. He was bold in his evangelistic invitation. Acts 2, verse 37, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That's conviction. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, well, just go home and pray about it. No, he didn't. Well, you'll, you'll just find out. You'll know what to do. No, he didn't say that. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission and the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for the children, your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, all of us preachers who like to preach long sermons like that part, for many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I've taught preaching a few times. I've got my dear friend David Allen down here. He's taught preaching for about 40 years. And I know him, and I know what I teach when I teach preaching. I don't just teach them how to preach. I teach them to always give a gospel invitation at the end of their biblical proclamation. You know, the Bible gives a lot of invitations in the Bible. Did you know that? Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. I hear Jesus giving a Gospel invitation in Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for my souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hear Peter giving a gospel presentation In Acts chapter 3, when he said, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord. I'm giving one right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ, before you leave this property, I'm asking you to open your heart up, to repent of your sins, and say, Jesus, I am sorry that I have sinned against you, I have broken your laws, please forgive me. And then to not only repent of your sins, but believe that he died on the cross and say, Jesus, I believe that you paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. I believe that you shed your blood to cover my sins. And I believe they buried you, but I believe that you rose from the dead. I repent and I believe and Lord, I receive you. I call upon your name. Save me right now, Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't do that today, and you're not a Christian right now, you won't be a Christian when you leave this place. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. We're giving gospel presentations even now. And then finally, if you engage in more gospel proclamation in 2024, God will let you see not just results, but eternal results. Eternal results. Look at verse 41. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized. See, they'd already gotten saved, and then they got baptized. They'd already received his word. And that day, there were added, read it with me, about 3,000 souls. 3,000 what? Souls. Souls. Do you know that's what you are? You're a soul. Because when your soul and your spirit leaves your body, you're dead. But your soul and your spirit, that's the real you. And to God, you're a soul, you're a living soul, and God wants you to be saved. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, 10, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save that which was lost.